welcome this morning to our, our Sunday morning service. Uh, welcome if you're here for the first time this morning or if you are fairly new uh, to the fellowship on Zoom. Uh, welcome, really big welcome to you. And like we always say, we're happy to have a chat with you. We're happy to answer any questions that you might have if you have any questions for us. Uh, I want to read. I want to read uh, a passage of scripture before I pray this morning. Uh, it's a passage that I've um, I came across that I wanted to share with you. Uh, I don't know how much of it today we'll get through, but um, we may we may get to it. But I want to just read read it for you, and uh, then I'd like to share with you some thoughts from the Word of God. I pray this morning that your your hearts are attentive. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. Uh, Peter says this. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. Really powerful, powerful verse, powerful phrase. I'll read it once more. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray, brothers and sisters. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. I thank you so much for the opportunity to come before and with my brothers and sisters and before your beautiful word Uh, to listen to your voice because that's all we're interested, Father, in not my voice, not our voices, not our opinions, Lord, but we're interested in your voice and your opinion. And we just pray this morning that you make it clearer and clearer to us the kinds of things that we uh, need to do as your servants and as your children who work in your kingdom. Father in heaven, I pray for this world that is so unstable and has been for, for from the beginning of time, Lord. I pray that as the earth groans for its own redemption, Father, that we ourselves may wait with eager anticipation for the redemption of our bodies as well. Father in heaven, I pray this morning that you may work with great power and great strength and great wisdom and great clarity and that you would speak to every single heart this morning, even to the hard heart, I pray, Lord, that you would soften and open those hearts, Lord, even my heart, Lord, Keep me, Lord, um, soft and ready before you to receive the things that you want to share with me. Heavenly Father, bless your word to us, we pray. And we ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. It's, uh, as I was saying to you recently, it's, uh, it continues to be a very, very unstable time that has always existed in this world and it kind of just looks different uh, at different stages of life. And this morning, if I get a chance, I'll get back to First Peter because it's quite a beautiful passage. It's really a beautiful passage. And uh, there's a few things I want to share with you before I get to First Peter. So uh, we, we may not get to it today. It may be something that we look at more in more detail next week. But we, we will get to it by God's goodness, God's grace. We will, we will get to it. But there's a lot of things 
at the moment that uh, understandably people feel anxious about, isn't there? A lot of things that people feel anxious about, whether it's the decisions being made for you, that can make you feel uneasy, can't it? I get that. That can make you feel a bit uncomfortable. The decisions that are made for you, whether it's locally or globally, I get that because there's an element of that that's out of your hands, not completely because the power of God went through prayer. The Bible tells us that the heart of the king is in the Lord's hands, amen, in Proverbs. And so the Lord moves it the way he wants. Isn't that great confidence that when the king sits on his throne and he thinks, I'm going to do this, <laughs> and the believer prays, the Bible says the heart of the king is in the Lord's hand. The Lord can move it. The Lord can shift it according to his plan and purpose. What a beautiful reminder that the Lord is sovereign. But I understand when, when we can become uneasy and uncomfortable that decisions being made for us, whether they are church decisions, local decisions, global decisions. I understand when not only the decisions that are being made for us, I understand the uncomfortability and the uneasiness when we have to make decisions, as in not just we as a church, but individually, when we have to make decisions about what to do. It's uncomfortable sometimes, particularly if you're not a great decision maker, particularly if you're a quite an indecisive person. I understand that that can be, could create a whole lot of anxiety. So I, I get that. It's just, it's reality. It's, it's life. And when you've got to make decisions about things that are happening and things around you and decisions about the pressures that are being placed around you, that, that can be really uneasy and, and people have a lot of questions. And I understand that. As I listen to you speak and as I listen to you ask questions, I understand that there's this uncomfortability and uneasiness about things. And remember I shared with you recently Jesus, in those beautiful words, he said, my sheep hear my voice. Yeah, that's the only voice we're interested in, the voice of Jesus, our great shepherd. And I know them, he says, and they follow me. And so there's a, there's a sense in which what is absolutely critical in this is us following him, not just waiting around. Oh, here's the shepherd, I'm the sheep, I'm safe. But a decision to follow the shepherd, the great shepherd of our souls. And he says by saying, he says, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. How reassuring is that? Take heart, take peace, take rest. That if, if we are his sheep and we hear his voice and we follow him, we don't perish but rather we have eternal life. And they shall never perish, he says, and neither shall anyone, anyone snatch them out of my hands. Take confidence, take rest, that if you're hearing the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're following him, you are secure. He, he, he promises this security even in all the confusion of decisions you need to make. Take heart and take rest. There are 
many, many of our current circumstances today that I find fascinating. Don't you? Don't you find our current circumstances fascinating? I was reflecting on it this week, and you know, what do we have in Melbourne? You know, we have some, dare I say, opportunities. Can I call them opportunities in Melbourne at the moment? Unlike probably any, well, unlike any other place or city in Australia at the moment. We have these opportunities that are very, very unique to Melbourne, which once was labelled for, I think, in many years, the most livable city in the world. I don't know if people would look at Melbourne today and think of it as the most livable city anymore, if people would look at it. But we live in it. We live in it. And we have this opportunity. Many of us live in this city, Melbourne. And think about the, the, the range of opportunities, if you like, that we've had. Pandemic. Okay, that's global, but it's in Melbourne as well. Protests, thinking what is going on with all these protests. And then if the pandemic and the protests weren't enough, an earthquake. We'll, just, we'll throw an earthquake in the mix. But these things that we experience, as if, we, if, if, if I may, these opportunities for us to consider some things and to sit back and to reflect as we ought to as Christians and reflect on these matters and consider where is the Lord in all this? What is the Lord communicating to me in all this? And the truth is, brothers and sisters, he may be trying to communicate to me something that might be slightly different or completely different to you, but you need to consider what is it? This isn't just coincidental. This isn't something that is just by chance. These things that you live in, this season of time that you live in, this period of the journey of this world that we live in today called 2021 and the experiences that you are experiencing today is not in vain. What is the Lord trying to communicate to you? What is he trying to communicate to me? You you need to take this seriously. You see, Jesus said, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So Jesus anticipated there would be unrest in this world. There will be great earthquakes, he said, famines, pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. That's remarkable. Think about the words of Jesus. He speaks about international conflict. He speaks about the earthquakes. He speaks about great shortage of food and pestilences. And then interestingly, he says fearful events and great signs from heaven. And he says this is going to happen before the end comes or the leading up to the end of the world. These things are going to happen. Now, I don't know. I'm not suggesting that our recent earthquake is a direct link with this verse. I'm not suggesting that. But, boy, I'll tell you what, and I'll tell you what it did to me. It got me thinking as a beautiful reminder, a wonderful reminder that Jesus is coming. He's coming. And I tell you, I, I don't know what it did to you. Maybe God spoke to you in, 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 a, in a particular way. But, but I tell you the truth. Let me share with you this morning something that we must remember as Christians, something that this world must be reminded of, 
something that must be spoken about and never never suffocated from the pulpits or from our conversations. And the truth is, as the Bible teaches, no matter how many people try to undermine, mock and tear it away, and the truth is Jesus is coming back. And this truth, brothers and sisters, should spur us on, should do something in our hearts other than entertain ourselves with great theological discussions. And rather than trying to wrestle out, am I a pre-tribulationist, a mid-tribulationist, a post-tribulationist, rather than trying to wrestle out the theological spectrum of ideas to ask a very important question, am I ready? And these truths are great truths, grounded, cemented in the word of God on various pages and in various books so that the Christian can be reminded of this great and awesome event that will definitely happen perhaps sooner than you think. Listen to Hebrews 9. Don't turn to it, but let me, let me share with you Hebrews 9. So Christ once, so, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Do you understand that? Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, came, died on the cross once back then to offer himself for the sins of many. That's your sins. That if today, if today you are overwhelmed and confused by the weight of your sin that you have you know that you're not right with God and all these things are scaring you or perhaps un, 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 uh, shaking you up and realizing you know what if something drastic happened and something catastrophic happened where am I with God well the Bible says there was a time when Jesus for once suffered for the sins of many and today if you believe and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, all your sins will be washed away. But then it says this, once he was offered for the sins of many, to those, listen, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, listen, for salvation. So he came once the first time for the sins of many and he's coming the second time not to pay for the sins of many but this time for salvation to, if you like, complete everything. Perhaps you could suggest the redemption of our bodies. But what he's saying here, the author, is that Jesus came once and he dealt with sin and he's coming a second time and he's going to do and deal again with everything that has to be dealt with for salvation. What a great truth. What a beautiful passage. The confidence and the reassurance of the Christian to know that our Lord is coming. Now, I want to share with you some things about this this morning in lead up to this first Peter passage because Peter says quite, um, quite clearly in his, in his word, but the end of all things is at hand. And I want to share with you why Peter, the instructions that Peter gives in this passage that are quite significant in light of the coming of the Lord. And perhaps 
particularly relevant to the climate that we live in today. But we need to understand something very important, that unless we are ready, this is all just knowledge. Unless this moves us to a place of readiness, this is all vain. My intention is not to make you greater theologians this morning. My intention is not to uh, enlighten you with some some, um, uh, understanding of the dispensation of times. My, 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 My intention, by the grace of God, is to move you into a place of readiness for the Lord's return by the grace of God. And there's two things, I guess, that I really would like for you to take from the word this morning, two things, and that is a timely reminder and a timely question. A timely reminder and a timely question. And I think we live in a time today those things are very relevant. What is that timely reminder? The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. And what is that timely question? Are you ready? And brothers and sisters, if you can leave this morning and next week or or however long it takes to share with you this passage, uh, if you can leave being able to confidently answer those two questions, the timely reminder, an understanding, a conviction, Jesus is coming, and a timely question, am I ready? And that's good. That's very good. And it's not my word, it's, uh, it's the word of God that I'm most interested in. I want to share with you some scriptures, but to help, turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, very famous passage in the scripture. And um, regardless of your of your own theology, regardless of what you believe around pre, a, post-millennial theology, whatever you want to think about these things, uh, there are some things that we can't escape in the word of God, and that is Jesus has come. And in John chapter 14, Jesus wanted to tell his disciples something quite significant. And what's interesting in this passage is the context is one of reassurance to them, a time of perhaps anxiety, heightened anxiety around what's going on around them. And in this context, he wants to remind them of something quite significant and he wants to tell them and he says to them, John chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Why? Because there were things going on around them that would have heightened their uncomfortability and uneasiness, and he wants to tell them something. The first thing he wants to communicate to you and I is very simple. Don't be troubled in heart. Don't let it overwhelm you. Don't let it consume you. Don't let it be something that preoccupies you. Don't let it trouble you in heart. Rather, guard your heart. Press through the pressures, walk, continue to walk in light of the anxieties of life. He says, but let it not trouble your heart. If you believe in God, believe also in me, he says. So he brings it back to this place of faith and he wants to remind them, this is what I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if you have faith in God, you've got to have faith in me and let me tell you what I'm going to do, as in Jesus. In my father's house, there are many mansions, and he starts to talk about, if you like, his plans for the future. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. 
You think about a place, you think about a home, you think about a, a, a reassurance, uh, you think about a, a confidence. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And he wants to reassure them, I don't want you to be troubled, but I want to remind you of something. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And so he's linking their troubled heart with his return. He's reassuring them that, yes, there's going to be things in this world, but remember something very significant, something that's going to uh, carry your heart, something that's going to ease the anxieties. I'm coming back. And the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ shouldn't, shouldn't raise your anxieties even more. They should relieve them. And for the Christian, there should be a conversation around the coming of the Lord that is reassuring and, and, and encouraging. Oh, this pressures of life. The government's doing this and we have to do this. And then there's this reassuring comment that says, thank God the Lord is coming. Now, if you don't know the Lord or if you're not walking in the will of the Lord, that conversation will freak you out even more or heighten your anxiety through the roof. I understand. And so get it right today. Get it right today. And allow the coming of the Lord be a, 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 an instrument of joy, a sound of joy, rather than a, a, a voice of terror. Interestingly, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm coming back, don't be troubled, I'm coming back. And then in another passage, he says this, but on that day and on that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Doesn't that blow your mind away? Doesn't that blow your mind away that what Jesus is saying here, you know, this, this day of the Lord, I don't even know, he says, him in his humanness and in his flesh and in in, 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 in his life on this earth, he says, I don't even know. I find that fascinating that he even wanted to tell us this. Perhaps he wanted to tell us this because he wanted somehow this idea of, you know, we need to be able to work out when it is exactly. Maybe he wanted to blow that out of the water. I don't know, but he found it, finds it, I find it fascinating that he wants to communicate to us that I don't even know what that hour is, but only the Father. So you take Jesus saying, I'm coming back, and then you take Jesus saying, I don't even know where it is, when it is going to be, and I tell you the truth, you bring those both together, and the only thing I can ask myself is this, am I ready? Am I ready? Am I doing things today that I would be embarrassed of if the Lord came back? Am I doing things today that I know are in contradiction to the things of God if he came back? Am I doing things today that I need to make sure I turn from and turn to God today rather than think it's some event in the future? Am I, have I relaxed and so allowed the weeds to creep around me in my garden? One weed pops up, no big deal. Another weed pops up, no big deal. And then all of a sudden you walk out a few weeks later and your whole garden's full of weeds. You think, oh, my goodness, I should have started from this. Of course, my goodness, because you've let it go. You've let it go. And today, if you are in this state, allow the Lord to do a complete clean of your life. 
This is the Lord's gift to you. So Jesus says, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. These things ought to move us to have things ready. Ever had a situation where um, someone's knocked at your door or rang the doorbell and uh, they've come and you've opened the door and they're visitors, unexpected visitors? And that's okay because visitors are nice, the visitors are good, but the problem is sometimes you get caught out because your house is a mess, you haven't cleaned it yet. You know, today was the day you were going to clean it and all of a sudden you think, oh, no, someone has come unexpectedly a few hours before I've been able to clean my house and you, you feel this sense of, of panic even about what do I do? Do I let them in and do I, do I guide them to an area that's reasonably clean? What, and, and you start to think about these things because you're not ready, unexpected, embarrassed, ashamed maybe. I know I'm exaggerating it, but, but what I'm trying to get to is this idea you don't say, oh, when he comes back, I'll clean everything up. No, we are, the Bible encourages us to keep our house clean daily. So when you do get the knock and you do hear the shouts, you're ready. You're ready. So you, like John, can say, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come. How can you say that if you're embarrassed? How can you say that if you're still living in your sin? How can you say that if you're still dabbling with, with unforgiveness and hatred in your heart? How can you do that? And rather, you can say when your conscience is clear before the Lord, come, Lord Jesus. I love the fact that Jesus is coming at a time that we don't know that, as he said, he didn't even know. So that I keep things clean regularly. I'm ready. I'm ready. And we're going to talk about what that looks like, but I'm ready for the return of the Lord. The Apostle John says, Beloved, now we are children of God. John, First uh, John 3, I'll just read it to you. Now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Yeah, he's talking about what we are today and what we're going to become. But we know that when he, Jesus, is revealed, means he comes back, that the coming happens. Listen to what he says. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now listen, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Do you understand what John's saying here? When you have this hope that Jesus is coming, is going to be revealed, he says, what is the natural common sense application of this truth? He purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. He doesn't go and defile himself. He doesn't go playing in the mud when, when he should be wearing the garments of righteousness. Even when he wears a shirt and there's a speck on that shirt of a little little flicker of dirt that went on the shirt, he makes sure he cleans, cleans that because he doesn't want even that to be shown. He purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. Amen. Brothers and sisters, listen. The only person 
who can decide if you're ready or not is you. All the preaching in the world, all the Bible studies in the world, all the questions in the world, at the end of the day, you need to decide, will you be ready? Will you today step up and follow him in all that he asks you to do with a clear conscience and a steadfast heart in the will of God? Will you learn to love him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength? Will you follow him with everything that's in you so that it's no longer you that live but Christ lives in you so that when he comes, you're not ashamed that he's coming? You're not embarrassed at the knock at the door. So when the rain came and Noah closed, sorry, God closed the door of the ark, No matter how many of the people started shouting, Noah, let us in, let us in, let us in. Perhaps Noah's heart broke for them. Perhaps Noah was thinking to himself, should I let them in? Is there a way to let them in? Maybe, I don't know. But the Lord said no because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Bible says. So there's a timely reminder, brothers and sisters, and then there's a timely question. The timely reminder, Jesus is coming. The timely question, are you ready? Let me share with you very briefly the first one. The timely reminder that Jesus is coming. It's a very interesting one because the older you become as a Christian or the longer you become, the longer you are a Christian, this can go one of two ways. The, The older you become as a Christian, this truth, this Biblical truth can grow and, and, and can be fired up more and more like, like you know, coal to a flame and, and, and it's like uh, and, um, and, or it can actually begin to be squashed and quenched and, and suffocated over time if you're not careful. You ask yourself today, ask yourself a very, very, very simple questions. How long have you been a Christian and where's your heart regarding the coming of the Lord? How long have you been a Christian and how passionate and eager are you regarding the coming of the Lord? What was that scripture before? Who eagerly wait for him, Hebrews 9. Ask yourself the simple question. I'm not talking about how, how often you think about it necessarily, but how eager are you in the coming of the Lord? How is it that, what is it about the coming of Jesus? That What does it do to you? And so how long have you been a Christian? What does it do to you? And then ask yourself the question, what's happened in that time? And so the truth is, or the timely reminder, is that Jesus is coming. And for the Christian, that is a reason to celebrate, to rejoice, to take heart, or, as Jesus says, to not let our hearts be troubled. You see, what can happen as a Christian is this. Firstly, first thing that can happen is this. Let me give you three things that can happen. Number one, doubts can creep in as time goes on. That's, uh, it's not an unusual thing. It's not an uncommon thing. Uh, I'm not saying it's necessarily anything to worry about, but every now and again, uh, but you've got to sort it out. You can't just let it go, and that becomes a real problem. But, but doubts can creep in from time to time, you know, that time goes on, years go on, months go on, and you think to yourself, oh, you know, I thought Jesus was going to come by now, and, and you know, is it going to really happen? And, and so there's doubts that can creep in, and then you go back to the word of God, you go back in prayer, you go back and seek the Lord, you share with the brothers and sisters, and your fuel and your faith, rather your faith is reignited by the truth of God. Amen. But if you allow the doubts to hang around and to grow again like weeds that grow around and choke you, 
then that's a very dangerous thing. And you come to a place where you just doubt altogether. Is it really going to happen? Is it really going to happen? Or is it just a, a symbol for something else? Number two, not just doubt itself, but there can become a place of disbelief, a place where it goes beyond doubt and all of a sudden now there is this, no, nah, it's, it's not happening. And we see this all around us in this world, and I can understand because, because the world has no faith in the living God. They rejected Christ the first time. 100% they're going to reject him the second time, even, even more so. They're going to laugh and mock at the coming of Jesus. Just look around you. Watch the news. Uh, watch movies. Or go on Netflix. Whatever you want to do, and you'll see in different shades and different ways people mock the coming of Jesus. They mocked him. They mocked the fact he came the first time. And there's this disbelief surrounding you. How many were saved in the days of Noah? Eight. So the fact that there are hundreds and thousands and millions and billions of people who mock at the coming of Jesus is not should not be a surprise to the Christian. There is disbelief everywhere. It's like a it's like a, a cancer that spreads throughout this world. But lest your heart be caught up in this, be steadfast. Guard your heart. Do, do not get caught up in this. Find the antidote and the medicine, the healing of the truths of the Lord. Jesus is coming. Speak about it. Rejoice in it. Encourage each other. Not in a theological debate, but in the truth. He's coming. He's coming. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Why are we doing this? He's coming. Should I be doing this? He's coming. Number three, and probably the most risky one, perhaps the most risky because it's subtle and it's, it can possibly be deceiving. For the Christian, the longer they're a Christian, and it's this, I believe Jesus is coming, but I don't really believe it's going to be in my lifetime. Do you understand? Just think, just, just think about that for a moment. Oh, yeah, I believe he's coming 100%. Jesus is coming. Hallelujah. Come, Lord Jesus. It's not likely to be my lifetime. What does that do to a man? What does that do to a woman? What does that do to someone to believe that it's so far beyond you? Well, firstly, that whole concept is not biblical. But there's got to be something. I don't care how strong you think you are. There's got to be something in light of the scriptures I've shared with you so far, in light of the scriptures I'm going to share with you. There's got to be something that creeps into your heart, a subtlety, a sense of even complacency, dare I say, around the coming of the Lord and the way you live your life. Oh, he's coming, but maybe the next generation or the generation after. Got to talk about it, got to preach about it, but but maybe it's for the generation to come. Jesus is coming, a timely reminder. Listen to Colossians 3. Paul tells the, the church in Colossae, when Christ, who is our life, appears. Do you get that? 
When Christ, who is our life, appears, what's he, what's he telling the church? It's going to happen. Yeah, you know that man you might have seen die on a cross? That man that we say to you rose from the dead? Well, he's going to appear one day. When I see the word appear, I don't think it's someone who kind of, you know, um, and, I, and again, I could be wrong here, but I'm, just, I'm imagining this word. When it appears, I'm not imagining someone who's kind of strolling in the temple uh, uh, sort of calmly and with great sort of uh, preparation. It's an appearing. He says, on Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear within in glory. It's going to happen, Paul tells the, the church. And then he also tells them in Titus, he says this, it's ask the church to do this. Yeah, we've got eyes. Of course, what he's talking about here is not just the eyes, he's talking about the heart. He says in Titus 2, looking for, okay, looking for, looking for what? Okay, looking, looking, looking towards something. Looking for the blessed hope, not the scary hope, not the dangerous hope, the frightening hope, but looking for the blessed hope. And glorious appearing, here's that word again, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Oh, this is a a theological um, um, feast, this verse. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. How beautiful that Paul ties these things into this one verse, but is encouraging them this. Look, 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 look. He's going to appear. It's going to happen. A timely reminder. Jesus is coming. And then a timely question, brothers and sisters, a timely question. Are you ready? Are you ready? You know, As I've said to you already so far today, no matter what your theological position is on the coming of the Lord Jesus, no matter where you sit on the timeline of events, when you read the Bible, and listen carefully to me, when you read the Bible about the coming of the Lord, I am yet to find verses, verse after verse after verse, listen, that link the coming that make me walk away, linking the coming of the Lord and then being able to relax and take it easy. Do you understand? When you read the Bible around the coming of the Lord, regardless of your, your belief on the timeline of events, when you leave reading the scriptures and you read all the scriptures around the coming of the Lord, you cannot, brothers and sisters, walk away and say to yourself, I can chill. I've got time. Chillax. When you leave reading the scriptures on the coming of the Lord, you cannot help but feel a sense of urgency to get it ready and get it right. Regardless of your view, when the people read the scriptures, When Jesus spoke and he listened and the common person listened and they read the words in the churches in those days, they would have left believing, convinced they've got to be ready 
Today, our human wisdom and our human knowledge, we like to, to, to compartmentalise theological positions and we say, you know what, I get it. I get the, 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 the timing of things and therefore I can kind of see it as here and there and, and afterwards. No. He's coming and we've got to be ready. And you read the scriptures and you say, let me, let me share with you a couple of verses. First John. Chapter 2, and now little children abide in him that when, here's that word again, when he appears, we may have confidence, listen, and not ashamed before him at his coming. Think about that for a moment. That's, the Bible says, First John, First John 2, 28, and now little children abide in him. There's the readiness. Well, and again, we'll talk about this a bit more uh, later, but abide in him. Be in his will. Resist the temptations of sin around you. Don't step out and think it's okay for a time. Abide in Jesus. Live in him. Obey him. Follow him. Walk with him. Love him. Serve him. And he says if you abide in him, then when he appears, you're going to have confidence, number one, and you're not going to be ashamed. You're not going to be embarrassed. Hear that knock on the door. Think, ah, come, guests. Come in. You can say, come, Lord Jesus. Before him and his coming. First Thessalonians 5, listen to this one. Now may the God of peace, because it's not a God of terror to scare us. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctify is like to separate you, to set you apart for something greater than this earthly domain. This is something that is going to impact the earth. He says he, says he wants to sanctify you completely. Listen, and may your whole spirit, soul, body, be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, is that not a verse to tell us that what God is planning to do as we put his hand, as we put our hand in his hand and we follow him, that God's promise and plan is to make us body, soul and spirit blameless so that when he comes back, this is how we stand. What a great hope. Who tells a man they can't stop sinning? What, what ridiculous theology is this? When the Bible says God wants to preserve us blameless for the coming of Jesus. How beautiful. Timely reminder. Jesus is coming. Timely question. Are you ready? And this morning, the Spirit of God is saying to you, you're not. Don't pretend. And this morning, there's great hope for you because you hear his voice. Come as we pray soon. Come in your own place, in your own time, the convenience of your home, dare I say. And call out to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I know what I'm doing. I know how I'm living. 
I know where my faith is at or where it's not at. I know that there are many things I'd be embarrassed about if you came back today. And I want to get this ready. Confess that to the Lord. Confess. Ask the Lord. His great mercies, his compassions that fail not. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. Come and seek the Lord and ask him to cleanse and to wash you from all things that you know are against his will. And pray that the Lord establish you and equip you and prepare you by his grace and his mercy beyond your ability, but very much in the ability of God. But together we may stand, yes, knowing there's lots of pressures around us, but knowing he's coming and finding joy in the coming of the Lord. I'll leave you with this. And I'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but I, I feel I should just leave you with this. Being ready, brothers and sisters, there's a lot to it, and, and I hope that I've been able to simplify it enough for you today to begin to think about this as we lead to as we as we get ready for, for the next part of this. But whether you want to think being ready, and I know some of you are going to understand what I'm about to say, some of you won't. But whether you want to think about being ready as selling your home or building your home, you decide. You decide. I'm not going to tell you being ready is go sell your home, go out and do work for the Lord or just go and do normal things and build your home and be in the will of God while you do that. You decide. But whatever you decide, brothers and sisters, whatever you decide, there's one thing you cannot escape, that if you're selling your home or building your home, you need to carry your cross daily. You need to carry your cross daily. You put your cross down, it is pointless to sell your home. You put your cross down, it is pointless to build your home. You need to carry your cross daily. For to establish your heart in a place of readiness, you must take it up, as Jesus says, and carry it and follow him. In other words, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I guard my heart. I guard my heart because I know from it are the issues of life. I guard it. I make sure that I, I, I watch and pray lest I fall into temptation. I walk in love lest any root of bitterness arise in me because I carry my cross daily. It's not surprising when Jesus gave the story about the woman who persisted with the king that she take uh, vengeance for her or avenge her. No surprise when Jesus said she can persisted and persisted and persisted and the king said, you know, I'm not even scared of God but because this woman keeps persisting, I'm just going to give her what she wants. And then he, he ends by saying something quite remarkable. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, yeah? again, here's another reference to it, when the Son of Man comes, Will he really find faith on the earth? Because these things take faith. Carrying across daily takes faith. Believing in the coming of the Lord takes faith. Guarding our hearts takes faith. Walking in love takes faith. 
where we think, oh, we've got plenty of time, so I'm going to say what I think and do what I think. No, we do the will of God in preparation, anticipation, in excitement of the coming of the Lord. I pray, brothers and sisters, as we reflect on this uh, message this morning, that your hearts uh, are not, uh, well, they're not frightened, but rather stirred for joy, but less, less, unless you're not in the right place, then you are moved to come and make it right. And as we pray this morning, I'm going to um, ask you to be, think, about, um, think about what it is that the Lord asks, requires of you today. And next week, by God's grace and God's goodness, I, want to, I really want to unpack First Peter because the end of things is at hand. And so how does he instruct us to go and live in light of this? Brothers and sisters, if you have any questions about today's message, uh, like I said, particularly if there's any confusion in anything we say, that you would reach out and seek clarification. But most importantly, that you have yourself ready. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Um, Lord, I thank you for the promises that you're coming back. I pray, Lord, that we are all in a place of readiness, that you continue to teach us, speak to us, reveal to us, Lord, strengthen us with all the pressures around us, and by your goodness and by your grace. And we continue to purify ourselves just like you are pure as we wait in anticipation and excitement. Stir in us, Lord. Refuel in us an excitement of a coming of the Lord and that we may eagerly await, that we may be moved to do your will and righteousness as your children. And we thank you for this. Pray your blessing on the church as you protect us, as you guard us, as you guide us, as we navigate all things. And we continue to pray for those in need. May your hand of peace be upon them. The Lord is coming. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.